audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Now, last week I wasn't able to be with you. It's good, very good to be back. Um, JB preached last week. Now, we did kind of our own church service with, with some of our family at the lake. We ended up doing that a little bit later on in the day. So, so we didn't join in, but um, I did listen to JB's sermon. Uh, because of doing the, the, the uploading the sermon audio to our podcast format. So I had the opportunity to listen through it. So I got the privilege of hearing how JB started the sermon last week. About OU and Texas and Texas, let they're going to win. OU got the game at the end. Now I got to tell you a little something about that game. I listened to it myself. And when it came to Oklahoma and Texas, specifically Oklahoma University and the University of Texas, I wanted them both to lose, okay? I mean, I wanted, desperately wanted that to happen. And he, I, I know that's not possible, you know, for to lose. Even a tie is not like a loss, but maybe if they all got into a fight and the coaches even got involved in that and they got suspended for the rest of the year, I mean, and, and nobody got hurt too bad, you know? That, that's a win, that would have been a win. I would have been very happy in, in the end of that. Um, now, there is a lot of opposing views in life, opposition, that will find themselves just opposed to somebody on a ball field, like Texas OU last week, okay? Um, sometimes it's found on a battlefield in a much more serious sense um, in places throughout our world and in history of our world. Sometimes it's just for the sake of explaining a position and having someone oppose that position. And sometimes when it comes to opposition, they will fall into, most of the time, into one of three categories. All right? The first one is this, good versus bad. All right? Um, the second one is bad versus bad. That's like OU Texas last week, okay? That's like bad versus bad, okay? And then, and then you have like good versus good. That's like KU versus KU. <laughs> this is Jason. All right, so he's just shaking his head. <laughs> today, um, today we're gonna jump right into the middle of a subject, and I want you to listen very closely, okay? We're going to jump right in the middle of a subject that good, godly people line up on opposite sides of at times. You hear what I'm saying? Good, smart, godly people line up on opposite sides when it comes to this subject. Now, it was... Goodness gracious, time kind of flies. Um, it was at least a couple of years ago that on Wednesday nights, we, we today's going to be a little bit like a Wednesday night, and I apologize for that. We're going to get a little technical just for a little while. Just If that's not you, just hang with us, okay? And then we'll, we'll, we'll push through it and, and get on to the end, okay? But on Wednesday nights, we have a tendency to do that. We kind of get on more of the technical side of Scripture. And... It's about two years ago we went through not book, chapter, verse through Revelation because that would take years, okay? But we picked out some various subjects, topics, if you will, from Revelation. And I made it very clear to all of us who were a part of that class to come to those discussions with a large dose of humility and patience. 
Okay? Because if you have a couple dozen people in a room talking about Revelation, there's good chance that you're going to have a couple dozen different opinions on Revelation. Okay? That's just kind of the way that it works. I want you to understand something else before we get rolling here. It is okay in Christ not to agree on everything. Do we understand that? Now, there's some key things that we need to agree on. But it's okay not to agree on everything. Some questions will not be answered this side of heaven. You got that? By the time we're done with this thing this morning, the only thing that really matters is, is this, is whether or not every one of us in this room is confident in our place in Christ. Okay? Are we all in for Christ? We're going to look at this today in the form of a number of questions. I think that's the best way to go about this. And the first question is this. When it comes to things that really matter in life, I mean really matter in life, and what matters most in life, what have I chosen? What have I chosen? Scripture is full of encouragement to choose to honor God. You hear me on that? Scripture is chock full of of places that we are told to honor God with our lives. Now, the first one, and I'm just going to cherry pick some of the most famous ones, all right? First one we're going to look at comes from the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. And we're just going to rip through these pretty quick. You can turn there if you would like, but you don't have to, okay? Joshua chapter 24. I would be willing to, to bet that there's some of you in this room who have this verse somewhere in your home whether it be on a plaque or whether it be on a poster or even a coffee mug or something along those lines, okay? And it's Joshua 24, verse 15. Now, this is towards the end of a very important time in Old Testament history. Moses is gone. Joshua, the one who was his protege, had taken over, and he led the nation of Israel into the promised land. They had conquered the majority of the promised land, and this was the near the end of that. And Joshua gave this, gave this encouragement to the people of Israel. This is Joshua speaking. Verse 15 of Joshua 24, he says this, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose, get that? Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which are beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, listen to this, men, leaders in your household, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You don't have that one underlined in your Bible. Get your pen out and underline it, okay? Now let's go to another one. Uh, Old Testament, we were talking Joshua. Now we're going to go to the New Testament Joshua. Yeshua. We don't call him Joshua. We call him Jesus, right? Now turn to Luke chapter 13. Like I told you, I'm cherry picking some of the big ones here, okay? Luke 13, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. 
Not underlined in your Bible, underline it, okay? Jesus says to his followers and to those who are around listening to him, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter by the narrow door, that door that leads to life. Now let's turn from there to another pretty famous place in scripture, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we had Joshua, then we had Jesus, now we have Peter. Peter was, Peter was a man, okay, a man used by God. But the significance of Peter is he, now he wasn't the only one doing this, the other apostles were doing the same, but the gospel writer of Luke focuses on Peter, he was just, he'd always been kind of a loud guy, all right, and Jesus said a little something about Peter too that we'll talk about later. And he's, this is Peter preaching the very first gospel sermon. What I mean by that is the very first time that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again, was preached. And by that power and by that sacrifice, we all can be right with God. That's a gospel sermon. And this is the very first one ever preached, okay? And you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and he is pleading with the people in his hearing. And he says this, With many other words, he, Peter, solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, encouraging them, pleading with them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. So when I see these places in scripture where we see encouragement we see commands we see pleading even of honoring God the question that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to God when it comes to Jesus is this what choice have I made when it comes to Jesus have I made the choice to follow or have I made the choice to not follow him question number one we'll kind of come back to that before we're done question number two How does God choose the chosen? The chosen is not in parentheses just because I I did that right there because it's the the title of a pretty popular among Christians um, movie series right now, The Chosen. No, this is is pretty biblical here and we're going to wrap up that today right in that passage of scripture. We see words like this quite often and the question is how does God choose the chosen? Let me ask you a question, and maybe this will help us just a little bit. Have you ever been in a position that you knew exactly what choice was going to be made by someone? Let's make it a little more specific. Let's, I'm, let, me, let me talk with you family members, maybe mom and dad, maybe brother or sister, okay? And you knew before the choice was made exactly what choice was going to be made by that brother, sister, son or daughter, mom or dad. You knew it. There's not a doubt in your mind. You, in most cases, you knew what choice was going to be made because you knew the one making the choice. You understand what I'm saying here? You knew who the person was. And sometimes you know them very, very well. I hope you are aware of this truth. God knows you better than you know yourself. That's not an opinion, that's truth, okay? And there is no one that knows people 
like God. He not only knows people better than any of us ever could, his insight is not hampered by time. Meaning, we, we are subject to time. You know, we might think we know what somebody's going to do 10 years from now. We cannot know it because we're not there yet. God exists outside of time. He's everywhere all the time. I know that sounds crazy to think about, but he's God. We get some words to that way of thinking from Peter. Again, why don't you turn to 1 Peter. It's going to be very, very near the end of your Bible, okay? If you're like in Revelation, you're close. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's just make it easy. Verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Read a couple of verses here. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's very nice of him to tell us who's writing this. I appreciate that. Not all the New Testament writers did that. I wish they had. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So that's who wrote it. And then catch this. To those who reside as aliens. Now just for a second, that is a favorite term used by Peter when he was writing and speaking to other Christians. Meaning, you're not at home yet. We're not at home. We are aliens in this place. This is not our home. This isn't talking about E.T. or anything like that. This is talking about Christians. We're not home. Live in this place as aliens and strangers. We've, we're, we're, we're meant for another place, okay? All right. To those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's a pretty big group, pretty, pretty, pretty good-sized area here of, of, of people. And he says this next. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Let me make sure you know something about God. That's important to know. We began this little mini-sermon series a few weeks ago in the Garden of Eden with our most ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve made a decision in that garden that majorly impacted the rest of us and our world. God said, that tree, don't touch it, don't eat from it. And Satan showed up, deceived them, And as a result of their decision, our world was thrown into a place of chaos, of sin. And we're all feeling the repercussions of that. Now understand something about God. Long before Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, God knew not only how many, but specifically who would share in his glory in heaven. And who would not? You see, when we jump into this discussion, foreknowledge is a huge part of it. Maybe this question should be named this. At this point, maybe, how does God know the chosen? How does God know the chosen? God knows all. He knows everything. He knows everyone. And he knows 
who will reside in heaven and who will spend eternity in hell. Up to this point, this has been quite easy. Pretty spelled out, pretty specifically, not hard to understand. We can grasp it. Now it becomes a little more complicated. (laughs) So buckle your seatbelts just a little bit, all right? And here we go. Do people choose or does God choose for them? Do people choose, and you can put whatever behind that, or does God choose for them? First of all, first of all, you will see. There's a number of people in Scripture who were chosen by God for a specific task. Okay? Abraham. Jacob. Pharaoh. John the Baptist. Jesus. The 12 disciples, the Apostle Paul, and more. I'm just, again, cherry-picking a few here. They were chosen by God for a particular task. And when God has chosen you for a job, for instance, I'll just give you for an instance. John the Baptist, before he was ever born, was chosen as the prophet who would proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. Now listen closely. If God has chosen you for a job, you will do the job. Your way or his way is going to happen. He's God. Here's the next thing. What about eternal destiny? What about not a task? What about eternal destiny? Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll, we'll reside here just for a little bit, okay? I'm taking my time getting there because we all want to get there, all right? My mom would be mad at me. She said, mark all the places you're going to go. I was like, mom, not everybody else has them marked. All right. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse twenty. Eight. And we're going to get a little technical. So please bear with me. Okay? Here's what it says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't have that one underlined? Underline it. Okay? It's a good one. Continue to underline because what follows is good as well. For those whom he foreknew, we've talked about that one, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now understand something. There are some big words in there and some important words. Justified, glorified. There are some really important things in this passage. But the word that jumps off the page to me more than any other is the word predestined. It's a word that I highly doubt, unless you're having a theological discussion or debate, 
I highly doubt that you use this word too much in your everyday language. I would, I'm trying to think if I've ever said about Audrey and Addison that they are predestined to take their towels after they use them, okay, and put them on the towel rack like on top of each other or like kind of bunched up, okay? Nothing dries when it is on top of each other or bunched up. No, you take the towel and you spread it out on the towel rack. And if there's not room on the towel rack, you throw it over the curtain rod, okay? Because dad does not like to dry off with a wet towel. We got an amen to that. Anybody out there? Dads, moms, everyone else, okay? I'm not going to say that my children are predestined to do that. We just don't use that terminology. It's kind of a rare word. Catch this, though. In the Greek, the word behind predestined is even more rare. Can anybody define abnegation for me? Abnegation. Got anybody? Okay, this is what I do, I'm assuming. Now, I was, I was hoping somebody couldn't just throw it out there because it's going to totally mess this up, all right? And if you know it, just keep your mouth shut. You're a smart person, all right? It's all good. If I don't know a word, because I read words often, then I'm like, what in the world does that mean, okay? So what I typically do is, I mean, I'm modern, right? I go to Google, I go to Bing, you know, define, fill in the blank. Right? Now, if you're old school, you might have a Webster's right there, you know, or something to go to to find that word. What if you don't have Google or Bing? What if you don't have a dictionary? What if you don't have that? Do you, okay, then I'm going to try to find other places where this word is used and maybe try to put a little context with it to figure out why it's being used here and what it's being used for. What about this? What if there are no other uses of the word? And I mean none. The Greek word behind the word that most of our versions of the Bible is going to have, including the American Standard, predestination, is this word, prorizo. Okay, hang with me. We're going to stay technical just for a little bit and we'll fly right through it, okay? So just hang with me. Prorizo. This word is used six times in the New Testament. It's used five times by the Apostle Paul, one time by the writer of Acts. So we've talked about his name was Luke, okay? So it's used six times there. And here's another thing. Understand something about, I think all of us know this, what we have in our hand right now is, if you've got a hard copy version, you have something that was not made 2,000 years ago. And what I mean by this, you have God's word in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew and in Greek. Okay? We, 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 what we have here has been translated by very, very, Dedicated, people used by God, and very sharp people, okay? 
And if you have a, a, a Bible version on it, like N-I-V, E-S-V, N-A-S-V, okay? You've got a, that means you have a translation here. And you would not believe the amount of work that has gone into making sure that this is accurate. But here's the thing. New Testament translators, like us, sometimes came upon rare words, And what they would do is go to contemporary writing of the day, meaning first century Greek writing. Guys, they had market ads just like we have. They had inscriptions on buildings like we have. They had historic, one of the most famous historians that's referenced sometimes by us as Christians is a guy by the name of Josephus. Don't be confused. He was not a believer, all right? He was a Jewish historian who was a critic of Christians, and of Jesus Christ, okay? But you had other people writing in Greek. So what they will do is go to those contemporary writings and try to find a place where this word is used. The problem is there are none. Paul was quite a wordsmith, and he did this on occasion, and this is one of those times where this word was very rarely, if ever, used, and he used it. So let's dig into it. Prorizo. Parizo, the root word for this word is parizo. You got that? Go pop that up, Zach. Here we go. Horizo, there we go. We get a word from it. Does it look familiar to you? Horizon. And what this word means is to mark off boundaries. Now you take that word and you put the Greek prefix in front of it. That means before. And what you end up with in the end is this, a word that means mark off boundaries ahead of time. Okay, we're through being technical here just for a moment. This is why this topic that we are talking about today will be debated until Jesus comes back. Because Many are not sure what to do with this word. And if anybody comes to me and says, I know exactly what to do with this word, I'm like, good for you. I'm not exactly sure. And what it comes down to is this. Some see predestined as God determining who will be saved by his grace ahead of time. That's what some people believe, and they might be right. Now, others, on the other hand, like me, see predestined as God setting the boundaries of salvation through his Son and seeing ahead of time who will respond to his call and who will not. And maybe I'm right. I don't know. I don't know. We need to understand something on the sideline of this, okay? Because I don't want to put you into a place of of questioning when it comes to this, all right? The vast majority, vast majority of what I hold in my hand, the vast majority of Scripture is not like the topic that I just talked about. 
the translation of the vast majority of this is not complicated. And the most important passages of Scripture that speak to Christ and what he did for us and how we respond to him, they are incredibly reliable and not difficult to understand for the seeking individual. Okay? So now we come to where the rubber meets the road in all of this discussion. Preacher, what about me? Chosen obviously has something to do with this. What about me? It's interesting. I have, guys, I started hearing about this debate when I was 18 years old and a freshman in Bible college. And it was discussed in the cafeteria, in the classroom, in, on the basketball court, in the park, probably in the bathroom, all right? It's been going on for a long time. And as I've told you, there are people, good, godly people on both sides of this. And it's not worth getting frustrated and upset with each other about it. But what about when it comes personal? I've never had a debate with someone about this subject and they then tell me that they don't think they're chosen. What about me, preacher? How do I know? Last November, we looked through one of my favorite parables of Jesus. It comes from Matthew 22. You can also find it in the Gospel of Luke. Now, J.V. talked about it as he wrapped up his sermon last week, just a little, and summarized it. So I'm going to very quickly summarize for it again, because last November, I preached through the, the whole thing at, you know, in detail. J.B. said he likes Luke because he talks about country folk. Where Matthew talks about city folk. We'll get to that point here in just a little bit. I'll summarize this parable of Jesus very, very quickly for you, all right? There was a king who was having a wedding feast for his son. He invited people to come to the feast. Now, that invitation would look something like this. It would be more of a general, when I say this, ahead of time invitation that would look such as this way. It would be save the date, Okay, save the date. Now, uh, and maybe, maybe if you go to a really, really fancy shindig type of wedding, okay, you might get one of those a long ways ahead of time. They don't even have the details down yet. They just say, save that date. Mark it on your calendar, okay? And then later on, you get more details. A little bit of kind of what's going on. The save the date went out. And then the day of the wedding feast came. We're talking about a king here. This guy's got some resources, all right? So he sends out his servants to get the people who were supposed to save the date. And guess what? They didn't come. They did not want to come. Some of them were busy. Some of them just like, ah, psh, I don't want to go. So the servants come back and say, hey, they're not coming. And the king's like, okay, my son is getting married. We're going to have a party. You go out there and you tell them to come. So they go back out to the same people and say, come to the wedding feast. Everything is ready. This is going to be a good time. Come to it. They said no again, and some of them even went to the lengths of mistreating and killing some of the servants. The king was enraged by this. He dealt with them. And then he sent his servants out to get other people. He said, we're going to have a party for my son. And somebody's going to be here for it. Now, this is where JV likes, 
Luke, because he went to the countryside, sent his servants out to the countryside to get people to come, country folk, all right. Um, now, Matthew kind of says city, city slickers, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, okay? So we'll just kind of put it all together and just say the invitation went out there to everyone. And guess what? They came. They came in, and the, it's going wonderful. The king's watching what's going on, and then he's kind of up above thinking, oh, this is good. Took a little while, took a little bit of time, but hey, I'm going to have a party for my son. We're having a party. He's looking at it, and then he sees somebody out there. There's somebody out there without their wedding clothes. Now, what is that getting at? I told you, this king had some resources, and with the invitation would come the clothes to wear to the wedding. And the king went down and spoke with this man and he said, friend, how did you find yourself here? Where are your clothes? Says the man was speechless. And he was thrown out of the party. And guess what follows this parable of Jesus? Matthew 22, 14. Might be one you underline in your Bible. And why it means something to us here today. Jesus said these words. For many are called. But few are chosen. All right, there's four things we can take from our parable of Jesus. Number one. All are invited. And not all the invitations look alike. I mean, those people who got the, got the save the date, and, and I mean, they had a pretty impressive invitation. Now, they declined it, but they had a pretty impressive invitation. Guys, let me, let me make sure that we're very clear about something. We live in a free land, and I hope it remains that way. And what I mean by that is on any given day, you can go to your radio, turn on the radio dial, AM or FM, and if you stay in those lower numbers, sooner or later, you're going to find somebody on that radio preaching the gospel. We are in a privileged place in this world. We have multiple avenues through which we hear the message of Jesus Christ. And some people are trying to eliminate some of those. You go to other places in the world, you think you're going to turn on radio and find somebody preaching the gospel in Afghanistan right now? What about communist China? But the invitation is still there. The invitation is given to all. Now we can talk about that a little bit of how important it is for those people in those parts of the world to hear that invitation. Jesus said a little something like this, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. The invitation goes to all. Number two, some refuse the invitation and some accept. Some refuse the invitation and some accept. Number three, the king establishes the invitation protocol. I know that sounds kind of fancy, but... Let me tell you, when you read a parable of Jesus and it talks about a king, it's talking about God, the king, okay? 
And the king establishes the invitation protocol. This is what I mean by that. He gives instructions on how to accept the invitation. And we would do well to follow him. Jesus exemplified that by a guy that was there without wedding clothes. Number four. And this is the good part. Who enjoyed the celebration? The chosen. Who were the chosen? Those who accepted the invitation. Those were the chosen. Preacher, how do I know I'm chosen? What are you done with Jesus? I believe the ball's been put in your court. What are you going to do with it? 